Welcome to the Empowered Investor Podcast. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by the sheer volume of choices and voices telling you how to plan or invest for your future? With his straightforward approach, host Keith Matthews of Tulette Matthews & Associates cuts through the noise to help you create a winning action plan for you and your family. The decision-making framework discussed in this show can transform you and your investment experiences and will increase your odds of becoming financially secure. Learn more and subscribe today at tma-invest.com. Welcome to the Empowered Investor Podcast. I'll be your host for today. My name is Marcelo Taboada, and today we have a very special guest. There is a lot of misinformation regarding taxes. Misinformation is present everywhere now on social media, and it spreads quickly. We've all heard someone around us say, above $100,000, I pay 50% tax, or the rich don't pay tax. Today, we have a great guest expert, the tax specialist, Reginald Pierre-Louis with whom we will go over the most common tax myths to separate the true from the false. Reginald, thank you so much for joining us. Tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, why tax? Hi, Marcelo. Thanks for having me today. I really appreciate the opportunity. So a little bit about me. I'm a CA, CPA, and I have a master in tax. So since I said I'm a CA, so that tells a little bit about my experience. Yes. <laughs> I go a little bit way back. In the past 12 to 13 years, I've worked for big accounting firms in Canada during 10 years in Canadian tax. Part of that time, I was a senior manager in Canadian tax. After that, I started my own practice. I worked with small and middle accounting and law firms as a tax specialist when you needed help about tax organization or tax treatment about some transaction, anything related to Canadian tax. Okay. Uh, since 2014, I also worked as a teacher assistant for various university at the bachelor level and master level. Since 2021, I'm a full-time professor at EGUCAM at second degree master level in Canadian tax. Finally, I'm also a speaker and an author for the Association de Planification Fiscale et Financière, commonly known as APFF. And I also do conference and training for the CPA order notably relating to real estate uh, Canadian tax or uh, some conformity about uh, deduction for small business deduction and other tax incentive or other tax stuff uh, for the CPA order. Wow. So you have a very extensive background in private practice. You've become an academic. So how have you handled that transition? Do you like it? Did you get surprised by the experience? <laughs> uh, well, I was always close to teaching. Even when I finished university, I told my teacher that I was coming back for his title, okay. uh, but he was young, so uh, I, I went for another university. But even when I was in a big firm, I was always someone who was willing to teach to the juniors. And well, I like to teach. It's yeah. a passion because it's definitely not for the money that I did the move. If not, I would have stayed in private. But it's just a passion. It's fun. It's a real feeling of an acknowledgement when you teach and when someone understands something that you're teaching. And also, like you said at the beginning, there's a lot of misinformation about Canadian tax. I remember when I was even young, high school, even before that, you always hear people talking about tax stuff, saying how oh, the government is robbing them, how oh, the rich don't pay taxes. I'm not coming from a rich family or anything. So I was like, how is that even possible? Is it, is it true that government is robbing us, that the tax is not fair, that it is illegal? We even heard that the tax is illegal and everything. I wanted to know for myself, and that's the first thing that interested me, that I went into accounting and became a CPA. 
and here I am 10 to 15 years later. Well, I tell you, it is a remarkable skill to be able to teach someone a complex subject. I think only a few gifted people can do it. And if, and if you have the gift, for sure, it's a great thing. You know, I, I was listening to your podcast that you did with my colleague Ruben in French, which was amazing. So uh, if you prefer the French language, go listen to that. But I was thinking about like a good analogy for taxes and the misinformation there is. And I think it is a little bit like health. Hell, sometimes you can neglect it and you can get away with living a long life. But sometimes if you neglect it, it'll come and bite you. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about like what's a healthy lifestyle and all that. So I think that's the best analogy I could find for what we're going to talk about today. So, yeah. But I like to use analogy to teach my point or to teach something. So for sure, I'm going to come up with some analogy of my, <laughs> of my own. And the one that I'm probably going to repeat a lot of times is always the red light. This is the one I'm always using. When you hear someone say, oh, my friend did that and he never got caught. Well, everybody passed a stop or passed through a red light. If there's no policeman, he didn't get caught. But your friends can go through a red light all his life and he's never going to get caught. And you go to the yellow light and you're going to get caught. So it, that's one of the problems with the taxes. Sometimes people are going to do things and they're not going to get caught. That increases the feeling of, People get angry because it's, oh, we did that, or that rich people did that, okay, but it's one person or it's a small group of person. It's not the majority of, of the person, of the people, but we're going to get through this. For sure, for sure. Okay, let's start with the first one. So I hear this very often. I'm not married. I may not live with my partner. What makes a person that is in a relationship, romantic relationship, make that they have to uh, file a tax return? That is a good question to start with. And that is something that we hear a lot that, oh, I'm not living with my partner, so I'm single for tax purpose. But let me ask you the question, Marcelo. What is for you a girlfriend or a boyfriend? How would you define a girlfriend? Okay, that's a great question. And uh, I'm married, so I have to be very oh. careful about what I say. <laughs> I think it's someone you share nice meals with and somebody you fight and you can hug five minutes after. That's how I define a girlfriend. <laughs> that's really safe. That's really safe. For tax purpose, it would be a little bit too large of a definition because there's a lot of person that could be identified as a girlfriend or a boyfriend. But what we hear a lot is that, oh, if I'm not living with the person or he is not my common law partner, and if I live with someone for 12 months or a year, then we become suddenly common law partner. This is a myth. The real thing is in order to be a common law partner, the first date between 12 months of conjugal relationship or the birth of a child. Okay. So therefore, living together is one of the factors that's going to be taken into consideration. But it is not the only factor that's going to be taken into consideration. I see. So you can have two addresses and still be common law partners. The best example can be a long-distance relationship, someone living in another country or another city. They're still common law partners. And this is different from someone who is married. When you're married, you become husband and wife. Right. There's a legal document that says that. There's right? a legal document saying like you, you share everything. But common law partner is the first date between the birth of a child or 12 months of conjugal relationship. Now, the big question is, what is a conjugal relationship? Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. Yeah. And that includes a lot of factors. There's not a specific definition of it. When you look at the jurisprudence and all the documentation from the CRN of Revenue Quebec, they take into consideration if you live with a person, 
How do you socially act with a with a person in public? Social media can be one of the factors. Oh yeah. When it's on Facebook, it's official. Unless if it's not on Facebook, it's not true. If it's on Facebook, well, you know what they say, right? That if it's not on social media, it never happened. Exactly. (laughs) But (laughs) this is one of the things that they're gonna look at. The intimacy would be another thing that they're gonna look at. In the same way, you can live with someone and not be in a conjugal relationship when you have a co-op or something. So another thing they look at, and the people don't think about it, is the insurance, work insurance and everything. I don't know about your friends. I have some friends, but never a friend told me, hey, Reggie, I like you so much, I'm going to put you in my insurance and pay for you on, on every of my pay. <laughs> Says no one ever. Yes. So yes. <laughs> the only way you're going to pay for someone's insurance usually is when you're a little bit closer to that person. So common law partners and kids. So this is one of the things that they're going to look at. On your insurance, are you alone or you have someone else? And it's hard to fight that you're not in a relationship with someone if that person is on your insurance. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be like a combination of multiple factors that are going to look at in order to determine if you are in a conjugal relationship or not. Okay, thank you for that. That's very thorough. So uh, I appreciate that. Okay, so let's jump into the second one. You're probably going to laugh at this one, but it says, I have no income, so I don't need to file taxes. That's a good question. And that's a good concern. I like that question. We're starting strong. I had the chance just before that, just a little story. I had the chance to talk with Mr. Francois Boileau, which is the Ombudsman of Canada. Okay. And when we were discussing about tax matters that because, you know, when you go see the ombudsman it's because you have a problem and most of the time it's related to Canadian tax. So one of his main concerns during his mandate is across Canada, not only Quebec, across Canada, is to bring the people to do their tax returns. Even low income individuals or less fortunate individuals is to do their tax returns because these people are leaving money on the table for them. Crazy. Yes. All the tax incentive, tax benefits that when you have a low income, they're there and they're there to pick up for the low income. So the program exists for them. So this is a myth. This is false. If you're 18 and over, and even if you don't have any income, you need to file your tax return. This is something serious. And people should want to tax the tax return in order to get the tax benefit that is owed to them. So that is something important. That's as clear as water. So thank you for that. The other one I hear often, this one makes me laugh because, uh, I mean, we do some taxes here for, for clients, but my friends, you know, when I tell them, oh, you know, I work in a firm that does taxes, they always bring this up. So it goes like this. My accountant is bad. He doesn't do a good job because I have to pay taxes at the end of the year. Or the opposite, right? My accountant is a superstar because I get a refund. Totally true. <laughs> As a CPA, we are mandated by the government to decide who pays and who doesn't pay taxes. So this is the higher power of all the CPA in Canada. No, I'm being sarcastic here. Jokes aside, this is totally false. Uh, the income tax is determined according to the income tax law. So yes, the accountant could can influence or you know is experience knowledge can affect your tax return, but it's not because you pay that necessarily your accountant is not good or because you have a refund that your accountant is the best in the world. It's really important to understand the the system. How does it work? Quick example, really simple example. Let's say you have a salary of $100. According to the income tax law, you should pay 
$20. Then what happens on your salary is on every pay, your employer is withholding income tax. And at the end of the year, your accountant do your tax return. So salary $100, do the calculation, income tax $20. How much did your employer withhold? If he withhold $25, then you're going to get a refund of $5. That's it. If your employer is withhold $15, then you, you will have to pay $5. So the accountant can have an impact because maybe you can think about a credit or a deduction that you should have because you're over seven years old or you're a caregiver, you have children, they're doing sports, artistic stuff. There's a lot of credit, especially in Quebec. But bottom line, you need to pay your taxes according to your situation, depending on how much tax that was withheld or paid by installment, this is going to determine if you get a refund or if you get a balance to pay at the end of the year. And that goes a little bit with the system that we have in Canada. And that goes way back until 1917, I think, the first income tax law. It's a self-assessment system. One of the incentives to motivate the people to do their tax return is the possibility of a refund. Yes. If you know you're going to get a refund, you're going to do your tax return because you want to get your money back. So that's one of the things that we go, okay, so it's a self-assessed system and you want people to do their tax return. It's a little bit linked to the question you asked me before. With all the tax benefits that exist, they want people to do their tax return and to hope for a refund. If they have to pay, well, they have to pay. And that's why you make installment the year after. So in order to make sure that you don't have a huge balloon to pay at the end of the year. So that's one of the things. And since we are in the tax season, it's important to say the individuals, they have a responsibility to inform their accountant about any changes in their life. A new boyfriend, girlfriend, a new kid, a new job, a new issue, health issue. We're talking a lot about mental issue in the past years, in the recent years. So have you started to see a therapist and everything? Your accountant is not there to listen. But if you tell him or her, something that's happening in your life, it might ring a bell. So, oh, have you thought about that credit? Have you thought about that deduction? Can you send it to me? You have a kindergarten? Okay, you're an educator or it might be a deduction for you. So talk to them, communicate with them. The responsibility is not 100% on the individuals. It's also on the accountant to ask the right question. But if you go see your accountant on April 25th, and he still have 100 tax returns to do, he doesn't have the time to take 30 minutes to take a coffee with you. And this is real. This is like, I'm not practicing so well. I still have my own practice, but I know all it is to do tax return. I did it for 15 years. And, you know, if you bring me your paper on April 29, April 28, you want them by April 30. And, I mean, we're all busy and we all need to respect the deadline. So, but on the other side, a good accountant can influence your tax outcome. But he's not going to be the one that, oh, because it's good or bad, that's why you pay. You can make a mistake. Everybody can make a mistake. That's happened. A professional that tells you that never did any mistakes, that's either because he never did nothing or because he's lying. So you should not trust someone who says never made any mistake. But with the tax software today, they always ask questions, give you diagnostic at the end of the tax return, like, have you thought about this? Or we saw this and everything. So it helps a lot. And usually all the accountants have questionnaire for their clients to answer at the beginning. So that helps a lot. 
I mean, it makes total sense what you're saying. If you have a good relationship with your accountant, I mean, at the end of the day, the accountant can be the best one. But if you're not transparent or you don't share the information, the output is not going to be the most optimal, right? And I like what you said about the, the influencing uh, behavior and, and putting things to the table, because if you're aware of things, then your brain is starting to think, okay, you know, like I have to inform my accountant every time I have a life change. So maybe I can get some credits here and there. And like it trains the client to be more transparent and share information that helps the accountant at the end of the day. Totally. Like every uh, relationship, communication is the key. Oh, my wife will love you, Regina. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's another one that I hear often is I make above $100,000 a year. My tax will be 50%. That's the one that I hear a lot too. It's false. First, let me just make a precision here. We're talking about income tax, not all the taxes that exist. We're talking about income tax. And if you make a salary of around $100,000, your income tax will be around 25 to 25%. Okay. So that would be the real answer. But it's important to talk about how does the system works in Canada and Quebec. We have what we call a progressive system. It works by tax branch and you have a marginal tax rate for every tax branch. So I'm going to keep it simple because there's like, if you take into consideration Canada and Quebec, you have around eight to 10 branches The combined because they don't have exactly the same branch in each. So I'm going to make it really simple. It's like a ladder, right? Like every different branch has a different level. Exactly. So let's say the first $50,000 are going to be taxed at 20%. Then from 50 to 100, you're going to be taxed at 25%. Then 100 to 150, you're going to be taxed at 35. And 150 to 200, you're going to be taxed at 40. And then above that, and, and it goes like this. So yeah, it's a ladder. But the thing is, people have the misconception that if you get to the other tax branch, all your income is taxed at the new rate. But it is not the case. It's only the branch that you're into that's going to be taxed at the increased marginal rate. So I'll use my example again. The first 50, I'm taxed at 20%. From 50 to 100, I'm taxed at 25. And let's say my salary is 130, then 100 to 30 to 130. So my 30 is going to be taxed at 35% or 30%. I don't remember exactly the, the rate that I use, but for illustration. So it's only the tax branch that I am that is taxed at the marginal rate where it is. So it's not all my revenue. It's not like, oh, okay, so I'm doing like 200. So all my income is at 40%. That's not the case. That's wrong. Yes. And in Quebec, the maximum tax rate on a salary is 53.31%. And it applies on income over 222,000. So it's only the income that is over 222,000, that's going to be taxed at 53.31. So when you make 100, you're not at 50%. I know it feels, <laughs> I know it feels like 50%, but you're not <laughs> when you look at it. And this is something important to do because people, when they say 50%, usually they're talking about the income tax, the sales tax, and the deduction at source because there's other taxes that we pay, deduction at source. You can think about, oh, for this one, I'm not sure in English, but IFQ, FQRP. Yeah, QPP, uh, employment insurance, all that, yeah. Exactly. And most of them, you're going to see them later. So let's say the 
QPP Quebec Pension Plan, then when you're retired, you should get an amount from the QPP. Employment insurance, I hope you don't have to receive a payment of that. But if you lose from that, but if you lose your job, you're going to get employment insurance. And the last one, provincial parental Quebec FQRP. Yeah, it's a parental leave uh, benefit. Yeah. Parental leave, exactly. So if you have a kid, you're going to receive it. Now, for sure, some people are going to say, yeah, but I'm not planning or having kids or I already have my kids. Why should I continue to pay? Well, it's because it's a, it's a choice of the society to make everybody pay for people who want to have kids or for the retired. So that's why you have to pay. Just think about when you receive it, some people pay that they already had kids or choose not have kids, but they pay too. So it's collective choice that we make. It's a tax policy, tax philosophy. Is it the best one? I'm not here to debate that. Well, it would be really interesting, but it's not the subject today. But this is the collective choice that we made as a society that everybody's going to pay for. Everybody who wants to have a kid or retired or get employment insurance. Of course. So I grew up in El Salvador and I know exactly what it is to have a country that doesn't have proper tax laws or even just income filing, right? Like people just, there's a lot of black economy and people don't file taxes. So, you know, the infrastructure of the country is falling apart. There's no social safety net. So not to get into the politics, but sometimes I hear, oh, the roads are like crap, but I try to avoid taxes and do like sketchy stuff on my rental income. So like, you know, you don't really have a right to complain if you're not playing fair, right? And the same thing with people who say, oh, I don't have kids, so why should I pay the school tax and parental leave and all that? But at the end of the day, the benefit of society as a whole, because at the end of the day, you know, even people who don't have children will have to get a pension. So who's going to pay for all those pensions is population growth. If we don't have no people, we, know we don't have a pension. We don't have a tax system, right? You're right. And the thing is, the, the idea, the concept, yes, we can debate about it. But I think is we're going to get it in other question, other myth, but the real question for me is not about necessarily is the system fair or not, but just how is it managed? That is totally another question. Yeah, that's a different the- different conversation. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is before we move on, so I think the misconception comes, Reginald, where people say, okay, let's say you make 250,000, people say I'm in the 53% marginal bracket. So they assume that that person is paying 53%, but that would be his marginal tax bracket, but his average tax will be completely different as of someone who makes 100,000 because of those ladders that get taxed at different levels, right? So I think that's where the misconception comes from. Totally. You summarize it really well. And yes, this is a misconception. And there's not a lot of person in Quebec that makes more than 222,000. We're gonna get into a little bit of statistic, but it's really not a lot. And yes, the people have this misconception. Perfect, perfect. Okay, let's talk about the next one. This one makes me laugh too. It says, I don't think I will accept this salary increase or work overtime because it is unnecessary since my tax is more than the salary increase. Again, this is false. Uh, Like we just discussed, the maximum marginal tax rate in Quebec is 53.31%. So for sure, if you make one more dollar in salary, you're not going to get taxed 150. It's impossible. There's a problem with the deduction at source if that happens. But sometimes what happens is that the employer is going to make more withholding for the deduction at source on overtime for the QPP, employment insurance, and the parental leave. But there are maximum to those deduction at source. So maybe on your overtime, is going to do more withholding for the income tax or the deduction at source in order for you 
to pay the full amount quicker. And after that, your pay is going to increase because you will finish paying your deduction at source. That can happen. But only income tax-wise, you're not going to get taxed more than the dollar you make, the dollar more that you're making. But can it be demotivating to know that, oh, okay, you withhold some deduction at source. So you look, you, you do some overtime. You think you made $100. Finally, there's only $40, $50. So you sell the deduction at source. Yeah, it can hurt. But believe me, you're not going to get taxed more or anything. There's only the change of bracket that can happen. But even though, even then, just remember, there's tax rate to every income level. So you're not supposed to get taxed more than like the question you said. Uh, oh, I, I'm, I'm doing overtime and I'm getting taxed more than my overtime. Now, again, it's a perception. But the thing that can happen, what we see, and we're going to separate ourselves from the income tax for a second, is what we call it the marginal effective tax rate. Okay. And when people say, because you probably saw in some articles, say, oh, you got 80% tax in Quebec or everything. The marginal effective tax rate, it's an increase of every taxes. So income tax, the deduction tax source, tax benefit for an increase of income of 1000 So in some rare cases, the marginal effective tax rate can go high as 80%. But it's generally for people making, and this is a roundup number, it's not the exact number, but less than 25,000. Let me explain. How can it be so high? So when you have a low income, so let's say from 10 to 2025, you receive tax benefit, the prestation fiscale, for prestation fiscale pour revenu de travail, I don't remember working. Uh, well, anyway, tax benefits. So the objectives of these tax benefits is to motivate the individuals to work. But those tax benefits also disappear as you make more money. So just for an example, these are not the real numbers, but it's just for an example. Let's say you make 15000 you will have tax benefits of $5,000. let us say you make now 20000 then you will have a tax benefit of 1000 So when you look at that, when I was making fifteen, I received 5000 in tax benefit, which is going to be a refund in my taxes. So I say, oh, cool. So I'm doing 15,000, I'm, I'm receiving 5,000. And when I'm making 20, I'm receiving only 1,000. So the tax benefit decrease. But the thing is, yes, the tax benefit decrease, but you made more money. So if you between 15 and 25, that hurts a lot because you're going to have a, the, the reduction in tax benefit. It's effectively, let's say you went from 5,000 to 1,000, that's 4,000. So divided by 20, it's a 20% increase in, in, the, in the marginal effective tax rate. So that hurts. So it makes you feel like, oh, I'm getting tax. But as more money as you make down the way, let's say you make 40,000 instead of 15, then the 4,000 doesn't become relevant anymore. I see. So that's where the people say, oh, when you have a low income, but this is really for low income, they say between 10 and 25,000. So that's where people say, sometimes say like, oh, I'm getting taxed at 80,000, but it's not only the income tax, it's the tax benefit that they lose. And that is what hurt them. Yes, that could be seen as an issue. Would it be possible to, there's a bouclier fiscal that exists in Quebec in order to reduce the impact of the losing of the tax benefit and, could it be better? Could it be improved? 
again, I think yes, but depends on the idea that you're going to have, you know, depends, depends how much you make, how, how you see life, how you think people are. <laughs> so that would be the, the only time when you can get a huge tax rate. But again, it's not only income tax, it's the deduction at source, income tax, tax benefits all together. But generally speaking, if you're a person making, let's say I'm throwing out a number here, 100,000 and you get a bonus, you're net positive. You're not going to pay more taxes on the bonus just because you made that bonus, right? So I think that's where the misconception comes. And I think it comes a little bit because it's painful when you get a bonus that your boss just says, hey, you're going to get a $10,000 bonus and you only get like 5,000, right? And it's like, I think that's where the misconception, I'm rounding up numbers, but what you're saying is the bonus will be added to your income and then that will respect the ladders and, and the different levels of taxation that we're talking about. So it's impossible that that extra 10,000 of bonus will be taxed more than your overall income. It, do, it just doesn't make sense, right? doesn't make sense. No. And another thing that I see that people, sometimes they pay taxes and they have a feeling that their tax rate is out of control would be, Someone was, because we remember with the ladders, the progressive system, let's say you have one job and you make $100,000. Your employer knows you make $100, so he's going to withhold tax according to your gross revenue that he's giving you. Let's say now that you have 10 jobs, one job per month, and you make 10000 every month from each job. And a little reminder, the first around 15000 the, the personal tax credit, the base personal tax credit means on the first $15,000, usually you don't pay taxes. So let's say you have 10 jobs, you jump from one job to another, and you always make 10000 Every employer is not going to consider the revenue that you did before. So every employer is going to say, oh, so you only make 10000 I don't need to withhold a lot of tax. Maybe I'm going to withhold 1000 which is 10%, because at that level, usually you don't even pay tax. But the thing is, at the end of the year, you need to combine and add <laughs> all of those jobs. So you have a hundred thousand salary. Oh, but boy. when you look at the income tax withhold, it's nothing. They're peanuts. So you pay at the end of the year. And then you're mad at the government. <laughs> right. So a person will be stuck with a large uh, tax bill because it hasn't done the proper deductions. And, you know, we see that a lot now. You hear a lot of people who are in the tech industry, for example. I heard this in the news the other day that now that you have a lot of these companies who allow people to work from home, some people are working two jobs and the other employer doesn't even know. So if the deductions are not done properly, you're going to get hit with a big tax bill, right? Yes. Or if you have two jobs around 100000 each, or depending on how much it is, yes, you're going to get hit really hard at the end of the year. So that is something that I see often, and particularly for the young people, the students. You know, they work maybe three months there, three months there, three months there. They do 10, 15000 per job. But at the end of the year, they made 60000 But every employer withhold nothing because they consider that they have their personal tax credit and some school credit. So they say, okay, so you're not going to pay tax. So I'm not withholding uh, any income tax or the lowest they can. But at the end of the year, the student, which, ah, I'm a student, I'm not supposed to pay taxes. There's no exemption in the income tax law. Like, oh, you're a student? Okay, let me check the box. That's it. You pay no tax. <laughs> that doesn't exist. It's right. just that usually you don't make fifty or 60000 But the example is really good because with everybody working from home, now the student work from home, so they can go to school at home from there. I know most of my students are always at their home because it's in distance. So they, they work from home. They can 
even follow a class and work at the same time and, you know, double bill. bill. So. so we go back to the same concept of transparency and communication. So if you have two jobs, do tell your accountant and let him know in advance to make sure that he advises you properly, right? Yes, he's going to tell you to tell one of your employer to withhold more taxes. That's it. All right. So the next question, you know, just make sure that the podcast doesn't get to your uh, regular restaurants that you go to because it may have some consequences. But it goes something like this. I work at a restaurant or a bar. I get good tips. Is it tax free? So the question is, are tips tax free or do I have to declare them? All right. So this is a good question. And uh, the good thing is nobody see our faces. So I should be good to go to the restaurant again. <laughs> so. <laughs> The tips are not tax-free. <laughs> but on the contrary, it's not true because sometimes you hear some people working with tips. They're saying like, oh, I pay 50% of my tips. We've been through this. We know it's not 50%. So <laughs> let's take it out of, out of the way now. Revenu Québec imposed the employer to add a tips of 80% of the sales before taxes, before sales tax of the person to the relevé uh, the equivalent of the T4 in Quebec. So they tax themselves on 8%, regardless of how much they really receive. Now, they're supposed to tax themselves on all the tips that they receive. I've worked in bars and a restaurant. To be cautious, I'll say one person, but I don't remember one person telling me, oh yes, I keep tracks of all my tips and I pay taxes at the end of the year. Says no one ever. So that's why there's the 8%. Because usually they will tax themselves on 8% and they're supposed to balance and put the, the rest of the money they receive. They don't. So it's true that they do pay taxes on their tips, but it's not on the 15% tips or on 20% tips. It's on 8%. And that is the, the minimum. Now, if they declare their full their tips, yes, they tax themselves of all. But even though 50% tax, Again, in order for them to pay 50% tax, that means that as a person who's working in a job with tips, they need to make more than 222000 in 2022 in order to pay more than 50%. That's a really good job with tips. Really, really, really good one. And the other end, let's say when you go to the restaurant, you have the little machine at the end. Let's say your meal costs $100 plus sales tax 115 You had 20%. And the machine is going to add it on the meal and sales taxes when usually the tips is on the meal before sales taxes. But even though this is another issue and on 115, it's uh, 20% is 23 bucks. So if the waiter tax himself on 8% and pay 25% tax, he's going to pay $2 in tax, but he's going to have received $23. So he's going to have in his pocket $21. So the thing is that the, the restaurant that's, not related to income tax at all, but from my experience, it's what costs is because sometimes the employer asks the waiter to pay a cut to the the cook, to the busboy, to, to all the person, and that's what costs them a lot, but that's not related to income tax at all. And also, we need to be careful because it's not every job that has tips that has to pay 8%. When you go on the Revenue Quebec site, you can see they're listing the jobs that are targeted that you need to put the 8% for the employee, but it's not every job. I see. Perfect. That's. I think that's clear as water. And let's move to, I think the next two are, are one of my favorite ones because I hear this a lot and I think they hurt, uh, I think specifically the one on RSPs hurts a lot of people because 
they hear this misconception and then it ends up hurting them long term because they don't apply them properly. So it goes something like this. RRSPs are useless because future withdrawals are taxed. RRSPs are not useless. They're just misused. Yes. <laughs> it's not the yes. same thing. Yes, yes. The objective of a RRSP, there's three objectives. There's to postpone the income tax. This is the first, the main objective. A potential economy. And there's a different situation. There's two types of economy. It can be a financial one and a tax one. And also, it gives you a bigger investment capacity because there's no tax on the RRSP. So to make a quick example, let's say now, Marcello, you're in your prime. Uh, prime, sorry. You make good money, you have family. So you contribute to your RRSP now. And remember, there's ladders. There's a different tax level according to the branch and everything. So... We're going to go big. Let's say you make more than $222,000 per year. So you contribute to your RRSP $10,000. You're going to save 53.31% income tax because you're the, the highest level. And you have 25 years old. You start, you go out a lot. Life costs a lot. You're 35. Now you have kids. Life costs a lot again. Yes. 45. Then you have teenager. Yes. Life costs a lot again. <laughs> and then finally, you get there, 55, 65, you retire, the children are not there anymore, full of grandchildren, but hey, that is funny money. <laughs> so technically, when you're retired, your cost of living should decrease and your income should also decrease because you're not working anymore, you're, you're redrawing your, your RSP. So you're not going to be at more than $200,000. Maybe you're going to be at 100000 because you don't go out as much or you're more calm at home. So therefore, your tax rate is going to be 30 35%. So when you redraw your RRSP, you took the deduction at 53.31. You postponed the taxes. And when you redraw your RRSP, you pay taxes at a tax rate of 30%. So you save money because the $10,000, you save 53%, so $5,300. And when you redraw your 10,000, you pay 30%, so 3,000. You had an economy of 2.3,000. And you were able to postpone the tax. So you also have an economy of cash value in time. It's just what people don't think about. It's like you said, it's not only the tax deduction you're getting today at 53%, but you take it out on that same dollar, you're going to pay 37 later on. But the growth on that dollar, the time value of money of that dollar today compounded 30 years with no taxes is huge. Exactly. So this is the utopia. This is how it should work. Now, real life. Now, real life can hit you hard. And what happened is the hazards of life. We can talk about sickness, accident, divorce, anything that can happen. So what happened is, let's say we use the same example. You're 35. You make more than 200,000. You contribute to your RSP. Then at 45, something bad happened. Accident, elk, sickness, whatever. You redraw your RRSP. But the problem is you're still at your prime. So you're going to pay a higher tax rate. So let's make even worse. At 35, you had a tax rate of 40%. You contribute 10,000, you, so you save 4,000 bucks. At 45, you're at 50%. You need to redraw your RRSP because something goes wrong. You pay 50%. So the same 10,000 saved you 4,000 and now you need to pay 5,000. That hurts. And sadly, 
That's what happens a lot. That's why people say, oh, our RSP sucks. They're not good. They're useless. I'm getting taxed on my full amount. Yes, because you had a deduction on your full amount too, and you didn't withdraw it like you're supposed to your retirement, but it's not your fault. Something happened. You, you needed like to get out of the house. You, you needed, a, there was an accident. There was some health issues. This is where the people has misconception because everybody has a horror story with someone that redraw the RSP. So that's one of the things, or even worse, <clears throat> not even worse, but sometimes people say, oh, I need to travel and I need to get out. I'm going to redraw my RSP and go on a trip. That's not what the RSP is for. No. It's there to create a pension for yourself. Exactly. And that's where the, the misconception comes. And let's say you contribute 10,000 on a couple of years and you redraw 50,000 one shot. That 50,000 just add up to all your revenue. So that's why it hurts a lot because you had a 10,000 contribution with a little three, 4,000 economy each year. And then you redraw 50,000 one shot, pay your tax 20,000 K one shot. You're like, ouch. This thing doesn't work. It's useless. And by the way, I'm not working for the government, so I'm not defending <laughs> them, but I'm just saying like, this is how it works. And this is why people sometimes are angry at the RSP and maybe they should have used the TFSA instead. Yeah. I think the issue comes mostly because our brains sometimes are wired to think about in terms of black and white. And we have a very hard time with nuanced situations, but I think that's why like rule of thumbs can be dangerous when it comes to like RSPs and different things, because you need someone to explain to you the different, you know, you're looking at the full range of options and how things work. And the RSP is exactly that. If you apply the logic of what they're there for, you're going to come up ahead. But if you're just blindly putting into the RSP without doing some analysis, then that's a problem. You know, even young people who are maybe, you know, have a promising career and are starting to make, you know, $40,000, $50,000, I would even argue, use your TFSA for now, save that room when you have the gunpowder and it's going to give you a 53% deduction as opposed to a 37 or 35% deduction. So what I'm saying is every situation is different and it should be given some thought and analysis into why you're doing and, and how you're saving into those vehicles. You're totally right. And there's a lot that can be said about the RSP because it's a great tool and people don't know it. And I like your example. Let's say now you make 30,000, 40,000, but you know that next year, any reason you're going to change job and you're going to do 80,000. Well, you can, and that people don't know that, but your deduction of RSP can be postponed. That too, that too, yes. So you can, let's say you have the money now, but you're making 30,000 and you know that you're going to make more in one year too, because also don't forget, I prefer to have $1 now than a potential $2 in two Correct. years. That's time all value the of analysis, money. finance analysis, and I'm, I'm leaving that to you. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to take care <laughs> of the tax, but you can postpone your RSP deduction. And sometimes if you know that next year, you're going to change bracket and you're going to go from 40 to 45,000. Well, that's 5% economy just right there for one year. So that may worth it. You know what? I think that's a better option than saving in the TFSA and then moving it into the RSP because the behavioral aspect of having it into the RSP, sometimes with the TFSA, when you know it's available, you may spend it. That's a, there's a lot of psychology. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I came into the business saying uh, people are rational. I studied economics. like I did economics in school and like behavioral finance. And then 
you think about like people are rational, you know, we make decisions based on rationality. And the more I, I'm in the field and the more you start to understand humans, a lot of it, it's psychology, but it's the framing. And, and that's why professionals like yourself and myself and Ruben and people who are working with clients and money decisions, we need to frame things properly for the client because the client doesn't perceive things in the same way that we do. You're totally right. And that's one of the things that I'm telling my students is if you go in a private sector, you're not only going to be an accountant. You're not only going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a psychologist sometimes. Of course. And do we have time for a quick story about that? I'm oh, sure gonna please, look. please. So I had that client who was in the middle of the transfer between the parent and the child. And I had a good relationship with both of them. So, and I remember the dad asked me to go on a lunch. I thought he wanted to talk business. Okay, cool. Then we go on the lunch and then he started. My child is uh, lazy. He comes at work at nine. He always live at four or five. When a client is arguing a little bit, it's always like, oh, let's forget that client. Let's abandon him. Like show him that we don't need him anymore. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't know what it is. Can you talk to him? <laughs> I'm the tax guy. <laughs> what, what do you want me to tell him? Wow. That thinks you're lazy. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I cannot really talk to him, but maybe I can refer you to like psychologists and trans and family because that exists. Business psychologue and art. Yeah, for succession plans. Yeah. Yeah, business professional were there to only assess the emotional side of it. But the story doesn't end there. One or two weeks later, the child called me, Reggie, can we go for a lunch? I'm like, this is bad. <laughs> this is bad. Because <laughs> I haven't talked to him. I'm like, okay, cool. And I want to talk to you. Your dad wanted me to talk to you. He said, yeah, I want to talk to you about that. <laughs> then we go on a lunch. My dad doesn't understand nothing. He's old. He should be retired. It's not true that I'm not working. I'm working from home when I get up. And I, after that, I'm doing other stuff at home. Nah, nah, nah. I'm like, well, <laughs> so I just quit the firm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was just like, like, okay, okay, this this is out of my, <laughs> out of it, above my pay. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not doing You should take it as a compliment that people feel comfortable confiding in you. So that's a good thing. But you see, when you're young and you're like, oh, I want to be the counselor, I want to be the, the person that they refer to, they go to, and you want to be that person until there's a real problem and you're that person. <laughs> a little bit like you said, you think you're rational until it becomes non-rational. And as a professional, you always have to be careful because you don't want, let's say you're in a transaction, a business deal, a merger and acquisition, you don't want the deal to abort because of you. And particularly in a transition, like this, I was part of a deal recently where the professional or were only helping the seller, hmm. but they were paying no attention whatsoever to the buyer hmm. who were employees. Right. And it was like, right. do you know what's going to happen when the employee is going to get on top? Right. You're going to get moved because you didn't pay any attention to them and you're with someone that is going out. 100%. Is, is phasing out. But it's fun. Honestly, uh, you're right. And yes, let's say for the ego, it's a, it's comforting. But uh, this kind of situation, it's, it's fun to live. You don't want to live it every week, but it's a, it's a good story after it tell. <laughs> of course, of course. Okay, before we end part one, let me ask you, I think this one is another one that stirs a lot of anger in people and you hear it a lot. Quebec is the most taxed place in North America or Canada. Yeah, well focused on Canada because I don't know about the United States. Sure, let's do that. First thing we need, I need to ask you is, what type of tax are we talking about? Income tax, 
sales tax, deduction at source, impôt foncier, property tax. Which one of uh, are we talking about? Let's talk about income tax. So Quebec is technically the second highest tax rate. One of the maritime provinces has 54% for Quebec, what, 53.31. We're getting there, working on it. I'm talking with Legault, we're going to increase that. No, I'm joking. But, uh, <laughs> but I saw, actually, it's doing this podcast that I realized it was another province that has a highest tax rate, but I didn't see the bracket. So maybe there could be some nuances, but we're in the top three for sure. And this is on the salary and other income. If you look at the dividend, the highest tax rate is between 40 and 49% dependent of the nature of the dividend on the top tax branch. So even though, don't forget that this marginal tax rate is the highest level on the top tax branch. This is not all the Canadian that are making that much money. We're talking about maybe 5% or even less than the population that is making more than 222000 So when people say we are taxed, let's be honest, in Quebec, more than 95% are not taxed at that level. Okay, interesting. We're only talking about a bunch of people. So let's say we're, I think we're 8 million, something like that. Uh, there's maybe 2-3% of the population that is taxed at that level and only on the income in, exceeding that level. So let's say 8 million. So let's say maybe between 80 and 200,000 persons that are taxed at that level on the 8 million that we are. And in order to say that we are the place that is the most taxed in Canada, we will need to look at every branch from every provinces, every tax rate, uh, the sales tax, the deduction at source, and every type of tax in order to compare. But yes, we are one of the places that is the most taxed in Canada. Yes, we are. Are we the first one? I'm not ready to say that. Are we in the top five? Are we on the podium? Probably. But Quebec is also the place with the most public services, RAMQ, school fees, tuition fees, frais de garde. Uh, uh, daycare. Daycare. The, the, yeah, daycare the subsidized are, daycare is pretty good, right? So, yeah. Exactly. So, And we have a lot of program for low income or uh, uh, homeless people. Or anything. We have a lot of program in Quebec, but we need to finance this program. And it's, a, again, it's a collective choice. It's a society choice. You can you can agree, you can disagree. It's up to you. I'm not saying it's the best thing, but I'm stating facts. We have the most services and of all the provinces. So in order to have those services, we need to tax more. But the real question is, are all these services relevant? Are they in the best quality? Are they well-managed? That's, that's a different conversation. Question. Yeah, that's a different conversation. That's totally different. And I remember there was an article about two weeks ago, and I can even send it to you, saying a family with two adults, two children, and the sweet spot about the revenue, and I think it was between fifty and 70000 per person, uh, can receive more than 200,000 grants during the first 18 years of their children. Wow. And helps from the government and from different sources. That's like 10K per year that they're going to receive when they're the sweet spot with the right revenue. And again, a tax benefit, a tax incentive. And depending on the revenue, if your revenue increase, the tax incentive decrease. If your revenue decrease, well, but when you're in the sweet spot, you can receive up to 200, up to 10K per year. That's a lot per kid. So 20K. So that's where we need to look and say, well, yes, we pay a lot of taxes. But we have access to a lot of services. Are our services good? 
or the road's good. Believe me, every time I get a flat, flat tire, I'm, I'm swearing to the, the government and asking why am I paying these taxes. But it's a choice that we make. But even the healthcare system, it has a lot of problems. But if you ever went to the hospital, and I'm being careful here with my words, I don't want nobody to throw me tomatoes. But if you go with a, a real problem, like life-threatening problem, life-threatening problem, you're not going to wait 12 hours. Go there with an allergy that you cannot breathe. Or I'm thinking about, you know, clients or friends that had uh, children with problems. I mean, life-threatening problem. And honestly, they've been taken care of in minutes, if not seconds. And I mean, now they pay their taxes and they, they, they don't argue anything about that because they say, yes, if you have a real problem, they're going to take care of you pretty quickly. I remember one of the partners in one of the firm that I worked with was telling a story about one of his clients that was always complaining, a rich client that was always complaining about the tax that he needs to pay. It's a lot. And he income tax every year was arguing. Then he went in a philanthropic trip. And when he came back, the partner did his tax return. Came to him and said, oh, okay, it's going to argue again. He's going to, you know, he's going to yell, la, la, la. Then he just signed. The client just signed and said, thank you. <laughs> partner looked at him and was like, oh, change of attitude what's happening and you just said well i went in another country which has no tax at all i've seen the condition there and believe me i will never again argue on the taxes that i pay here with all the services i have access to or did the best can we improve there's always space for improvement of course what the, uh, is the collective choice uh, again I think we've all heard the horror stories of even a country like the United States who has a, an effective tax system, right? They collect taxes and all that. And it's a very, it's the biggest country in the world and the richest country in the world. Like people have to mortgage houses to save a loved one or pay for a surgery or, you know, they have to declare bankruptcy. You know, I got an ACL surgery, which is not a life-threatening surgery, but my care was top-notch. I got free physio. The surgery was incredible. It was performed by one of the best orthopedic surgeons in Quebec. Like It was literally the guy who does the surgeries of the Montreal Canadiens and like UFC athletes. And I didn't request them. I didn't pay anything to get him. Like I just, it was the draw of the, it was pure luck. But again, you know, price is what you pay. Value is what you get. Of course, if you get a cold and you're going to the emergency system, you're going to wait 12 hours, right? Because the system is there to prioritize based on levels of priority. So you are going to get it back. And can it be managed differently? You know, we can't get into the politics of, of this discussion, but I think on a broad scale, we are getting something back for what we're paying in Quebec. One of the situations that I talked to you about, about the children of a friend, I mean, he had some uh, breeding issues uh, since the birth. And I mean, we're talking about a baby here. And on the surgery, it was like four surgeon top-notch in Quebec. Wow. It's like a lung for children, a brain for children, the one who's doing the, the surgery, the other one who's doing another stuff. I mean, but it's just like, I'm like, man, if it was in the States, it's really sad to say, but maybe the baby will not be there. It will not be here. So it's, it's always, it depends. Does the system have some fail sometimes? For sure. Every system has fails. Even the income tax system, does sometimes targeting the wrong person? For sure. On an analogy, when you see someone getting arrested, pulled over on the road, when you pass, you're always like, oh, I'm sure you did it. You earned it. But when it's you that get pulled over, like, hey, 
there's an explanation. <laughs> I can explain. Of course, <laughs> of course, of course. All right, Reginald. Listen, thank you so much for joining us for part one. We're going to see you in a few weeks for uh, part two. And yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you, Marcelo, for having me. You've been listening to the Empowered Investor Podcast, hosted by Keith Matthews. Please visit tma-invest.com to subscribe to this podcast, learn more about how his firm helps Canadian investors, or to request a complimentary copy of The Empowered Investor. Investments and investing strategies should be evaluated based on your own objectives. Listeners of this podcast should use their best judgment and consult a financial expert prior to making any investment decisions based on the information found in this podcast.